Big Sisters of BC Lower Mainland presents Ignite Her Podcast, a podcast connecting you to a community of empowered women. Big Sisters of BC Lower Mainland is a nonprofit focused on providing meaningful mentorship for youth. So this week's guest is Pamela Sanga. Pamela is a registered clinical counselor and has a private practice at Sanga Counseling out of Clover Hills Rehabilitation. Pamela provides a person-centered approach to counseling with elements of mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. Pamela's worked in substance abuse, child and family, anxiety, and depression. So Pam, welcome to Ignite Her podcast. We're so excited to have you as a guest. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. And Vanessa and Angie, how are you guys doing? Good. good. How's, how's life treating everyone this month? It's a little busy. <laughs> How Which is better than this time last year, I'm assuming, yeah. where it was like thing happening. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you too, like as a counselor, how has it been from like beginning of pandemic to now when we're like deep in it? Um, It was pretty slow last year around this time, obviously, because we just hadn't figured out how to really navigate the pandemic kind of like everyone else. And now I think just with the ramifications to mental health and isolation with the pandemic, it's just very busy. Yeah, I could see that. I was reading something and it was saying, it was just talking about like the implications of COVID on mental health and how it's just like decreased, I'm sorry, increased so much and that like mental health services are really going to be needed. So I can totally see how it's really busy. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's really just important because People, like human beings aren't supposed to be stuck inside. We're not supposed to be isolated. We're not, like we're very much creatures of habit. And then our habits are all taken away from us. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a time for navigating this whole landscape. But then the thing is, is helpers and clinicians are also navigating it at the same time. So Mm -hmm. it's just a very interesting time to kind of exist in this realm. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's like a lot of people are dealing with anxiety and unknown like is there a theme that you've noticed among people who've started counseling since the pandemic yeah the theme is loneliness and isolation mm-hmm. and so normally people who kind of struggle with depression and anxiety already have kind of those feelings but this has just been like you've just been stripped of community even like you know even if people have caseworkers or can go to community centers like that's all been taken away so the theme really is like, I'm really lonely, I'm super isolated, and I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I think we feel that one hard, too. <laughs> Even, like, with our work, totally can yeah. resonate with that. And there's Zoom, there's Zoom fatigue, right? Like, so most people are working over Zoom, which means they don't want to have a FaceTime conversation with their friends and family after that because we've been staring at a screen all day. But then it's it's just difficult to kind of figure out what the balance is. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't have like the same kind of conversation on Zoom or what have you, you know, versus in person. It's just super, super different. You know, like you have to take turns speaking and and everything else, right? Like if you're in a group, so it's not very, not very natural. And I'm wondering too, is it a lot of like new people that are, that are coming out to to counseling and and getting help and, and support that have never done it before? Well, one of the really magical things is it's provided access to a lot of people who maybe would not have come to counseling beforehand, right? Because if you have anxiety, if you struggle with depression, a lot of that is like, I don't want to leave the house to talk to somebody new and try to work through this, right? So it's provided this atmosphere, which is amazing, that like gives you access. So there is a lot of new clientele in that perspective, but 
at the same time, it's also really aggravated substance use issues and further like made things kind of worse for people who were already struggling with their mental health. So it's kind of like a double edged sword. Yeah. Well, luckily, we've got people like you out there who are helping Mm -hmm. us get through it. I think, yeah, I really appreciate my therapist at this time more so than ever. I appreciate my therapist at this time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something that we wanted to talk about this month, because it's May, is um, Mother's Day and our relationships with our mothers. So I think it would be really cool to first kind of go around and talk about what our relationships with our moms are like. So um, Pam, do you want to tell us a little bit about your relationship with your mom? My relationship with my mom is always evolving. Um, So when I was a kid, she was definitely the disciplinarian and the person that was like making sure that I was well behaved and that things were done a certain way. Um, whereas my dad was more cavalier and got to play more of the like fun kind of role. And then, um, moving into later in my later high school years in university, my mom was more kind of like a friend. I even now talk to her more like a friend and she's just kind of the, it it doesn't, it's really funny because like, no matter I'm in my thirties now and you always still look for an adultier person than you to like ask advice from and Yeah. And so like my mom's the person that I'm like, uh, is this okay? And um, (laughs) so now we've kind of formed more of a, like I still live with my parents, right? So now we're kind of more roommates, more friends than actual like mother daughter relationship. But then obviously, you know, that role of mom still comes in all the time. So yeah, it's definitely unique. It's consistently changing. And conversations become a little bit more different, especially even as I stepped into my role as a counselor, like, and went through my own, like, therapeutic journey as well. So obviously, yeah, there's been some ebbs and flows. But yeah, we're at a very good place right now. And I would say, like, first and foremost, like, obviously, she's my mom, but she's also like, just one, like my friend, like we talk, like, I talk to her, like I would talk to my friends. That's good. That's nice to hear how it's evolved. Yeah, I like I like how you said that mm-hmm. ever evolving because it doesn't it doesn't always stay static your relationship with your mom. I think it always changes. What about Angie? How, what's your relationship with your mom like? <laughs> this is where this is going to be the episode that is like ten hours long. Because <laughs> where do we start? <laughs> a lot of boundaries. My mom is a person who came from a lot of trauma herself and came from an abusive family situation. And that definitely got passed down. There was a lot of struggles growing up. She has pretty significant mental health issues and as a result, also substance use issues. So um, it's a lot of putting down boundaries and trying to make sure that I interact with her when she's having good days, as I call them. I'm like, okay, mom's having a good day. Let's have a chat on the phone or I'll go visit her. But then drawing the boundary and being like, ah, she's not having a good day. She's using or whatever it is. And sort of like staying away until we can have a good day. And that's sort of like the best way that I've sort of managed to have a good relationship with her. Because if I didn't put down those like really strong boundaries, I wouldn't be able to like be around her at all. Um, But she's a good person aside from like her demons. I know that like deep down inside, she's kind of just like a little girl still who's who's dealing with a lot of trauma, even though she's like a 70 something year old woman. So I try and remember that that's who she is, that she's not a bad person, that she's just struggling and she didn't have the coping mechanisms to be more resilient like other people. Holy smokes. Yeah. Good for you. Boundaries are are hard, especially with family. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, really tough. And do, do you feel like you've 
empathize with her more as you like became an adult and like understood what it meant to be an adult or not meant to be an adult? Yeah. Once I started like going through school and understanding trauma and how it affects you, I was able to see her as like an adult who's born out of childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And looking at her through that lens is way different than just looking at her being like, why are you so messed up? Why can't you be a better mom? Now I'm able to sort of be like, oh, it's because you had a whole bunch of stuff that you had to deal with when you were younger and no one ever supported you in seeking counseling. And this is the result. And there's nothing I can do to change it at this point. So um, definitely more empathy, but then a a little bit of like caregiver burnout for sure and trying to make sure that I keep those boundaries. So it's complicated, but it's all right. Mm -hmm. Um, Pam, I wanted to ask you now that we're talking about boundaries, do you find that um, especially the people that you work with, like the boundary setting part, like how does that play out in people's relationships with their parents? I think boundaries with parents is one of the most difficult Mm -hmm. because there's this sense of like they raised you and, you know, they may not have provided you everything that you needed, but if they gave you the baseline, there's a, there's a part of you that's like, Oh, like I should, I should respect that. And I should really kind of honor that in a sense. But as you grow in your journey, like this is why I say like self-love isn't really like a face mask as you grow throughout therapy and you grow and you start establishing boundaries, relationships are going to shift. And that's the hardest part, right? Because you're establishing the boundary, but they're not comfortable with that. And they don't know what's happening because they're not doing their work, right? You're doing your work, which is why you're establishing that boundary. But the thing is, is we have to just accept people where they're at. So you don't want to go through this process and establish boundaries and then act like you're on a on a soapbox and be like, well, I'm fixing my shit. So this is the boundary that I'm asserting and you have to just respect it. You can assert your boundary, especially with your parents, but you have to accept that they were not given this privilege, Mm. right? Because most of our parents were in survival mode. They did not have the ability to thrive. And so I think, I think once we wrap our heads around that, like, Hey, our parents did the best job that they knew how to do with what they were given And then assert your boundaries kind of that way as a level playing field. I think that it's a little bit easier. But that being said, it's still really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I still don't fully understand boundaries. (laughs) It's like I'll like I'll get it, practice it, learn it. But it's like you kind of have to continuously tailor it. Right. So it's like always going back. And it's like I don't know. I'm like picturing like clay that you're kind of always working with. So yeah, I think it's like an ongoing learning process. Yeah, they're really, I always picture them as a square around my brain and my heart where like people can't like bother me, Mm -hmm. but then your brain and your heart always want to go back to what's comfortable and what's easy, not knowing that that's actually more uncomfortable for you. And that this is because you won't move forward in those spots. You'll stay where you at, you'll be stagnant. And that's, that's not that's not the point of this life, right? The life life is to be lived, to move through things and like become who we're supposed to be. And that never happens if you stay the same. Yeah, that's an awesome point. And um, Vanessa, what was your relationship like with your mom? Uh, it was really good. I mean, honestly, I, I reflect on it and I think I am her. Like I feel like I'm we such We become a, our mothers. I know, right? And it's – um yeah, so she – raised me. So I lived with her and then her parents as well. Um, cause my parents split up when I was five. Um, and she was always great, honestly, like it's, 
it's been such a great relationship. And I've had other people too that, you know, are mother figures to me as well. So my grandmother who lived upstairs for sure, like raised me, took care of me. I have a stepmom as well, which has been really great too, because she's very different from my mom. So just having that completely different perspective and upbringing when I would go and and stay with her, her and my dad, um, that was really interesting. But yeah, my mom, I, you know, I, Anytime I see or interact with her now, I can see myself in her. And like part of me is just like, oh, that's kind of annoying. But it's also like very reflective and seeing like, okay, this is like also who I am and those things that perhaps maybe bug me about her. I'm like, hmm, okay, I need to do my own work on that stuff for me because it's bothering me because I know I'm I'm like that too. So that's been that's been really interesting. And I'm sure, you know. Y'all can relate to interacting with your mom and being like, oh, am I like that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you could choose like one thing that your mom did really well, like reflecting on it, what what do you what would you say it is? She was just really chill about everything. Like honestly, like she just and I was a pretty chill kid and teen for the most part. Yeah, I don't know. And she she always let me know what was going on and had conversations with me because it was just me and her, right? Whereas, you know, for example, if I'd go to uh, visit my dad and my stepmom, it was kind of just a really different environment. They expected us to just like go outside and play and like interact with a bunch of other people. And um, I never really knew what was going on when I was there. But when I was home, I was always like more of like an active participant in terms of like what we were going to do or what our schedule was or, or what have you. So I felt a little bit more secure in that. And yeah, so I just, I felt like we were the, a duo, you know, and, and decided things together, which was really cool. Nice. What about you, Vanita? What was your relationship like with your mom? Um, yeah, I think I can really relate to Pam with the idea of ever evolving. I think we've gone through very interesting phases in our relationship. So my mom immigrated here when she was in her like late teens, early 20s. So first of all, like she's had a really, she's worked really hard to get to where she is right now in terms of, you know, creating this life that she has. So when I was younger, everything was great. And then I think things started to change a little bit when I was a teenager. And I think this is when I had equal kind of exposure between home and my social environment at this time. And I think a lot of times, um, and I know people can resonate with this too, is understanding what family is supposed to be like, what, like from school and in your social environments versus what family is like at home. And I think there was a huge like discrepancy between the two. And it really, I think it really affected my relationship with her. I think when I look back and I really think about this properly now, I realized that we really did come from two different worlds. Um, I came from like a handful of privileges that that wasn't even in her realm of possibilities. And she really, she really basically had to struggle a lot so that I can have the privileges that I have now. I didn't see it like that at the time. So I think what was happening was she's coming from a different world. I'm coming from a different world. We're both needing each other to see our worlds, but we don't want to understand each other's worlds. So it was just, I think that was kind of the theme for like a while. And then, yeah, I think um, in the last year or so, like we've done 
I think we've been more open and I think that comes with me um, like being older now. I don't think she sees me so much as like that teenager that she needs to protect and like um, shield all the time, but like we can have those conversations. So yeah, like we, I think we have a better understanding of each other. And I think when I was younger, I just saw her as my mom that needed to be this all encompassing human. But I think now I can see her as another woman. And I can, I respect her and empathize with her in that way instead of like putting all this pressure in like a title, if that makes sense. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with the relationships. That's good now. Is there something that you think back on that you can recognize as like a shift in your relationship? Like, was there a moment or a conversation or something where you guys were able to meet in the middle and things sort of changed? Yeah. So I think when I was younger, I thought it was like, she had to do all the work to meet me where I'm at. And I just, yeah, like I always had that idea. I think in the last year, I kind of realized where I also can improve on like my understanding and like having um, empathy towards her experiences as well. And I'm not, I'd never used to recognize her experiences as her own experiences. I always would relate it back to me. Like I would never just you know, respect her for where she's at. So I think that really helped. And um, yeah, we actually did some counseling together too. I think it was very, very life-changing because there was a moment that um, my counselor, she said something that really stuck out to me because we, like I was saying before, we never could relate. We never could understand each other. So there was one point where she was saying that, you know, my mom was talking about experiences and like she was saying, you know, one thing that I see from both of you is that you're both very outspoken and you're both you're both go-getters. And I never used to see her like that because we we just couldn't understand each other. But then when I saw that we had that commonality and it's like a really great thing to have in common too, I think that really like bonded us together more. And yeah, I think it opened the door to explore like where we're in common more and like how to have a good flow with each other. Yeah, we're growing over here. <laughs> <laughs> Was it hard to convince her to go to counseling? I think, yeah, I think it was like a long time coming. It took a while, but I think it came at the moment where we absolutely needed it. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I especially like coming from like my cultural background, that's tough to want to go to counseling and to like help yourself. But I think it's also tougher like when you're the parent, like you're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to be the one that's like the support. So I think just having to ad even admit that, you know, there's room to work on. I really respect her for that because I think I think for any parent, that's probably a really hard thing. Like I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but I can imagine that's like a hard space to be in. So yeah, I commend her for taking that step. Yeah, for sure. I think we all have like really cool experiences with our moms. I think we like all have very different relationships and it's I can what I can see from like all of our relationships is that we've all kind of had different paths. But I think as we're getting older, we all kind of have that common understanding of our relationships with our moms. I'm curious, are there any important lessons that you learned from your mom? I mean, I learned a lot of lessons from my mom. Um, I learned that I am essentially her and she is essentially me. Mm -hmm. And I also learned a lot about intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that I really fundamentally learned. I know I should probably come up with an antidote that's different, but I really learned about inter intergenerational trauma because I had this like deep seated anger that was like kind of terrifying. And I had no idea what, like, who am I to be angry? Like I have all this privilege in life. Like 
who, where was that coming from? I don't, I never understood it, but I took it out on my mom. Like she was at the receiving end of it, either her or my sisters. Like they were just like these like beacons for me to just shove all of this anger at. And I never understood it because it really wasn't mine. It's, it's, it's hers. It's from a lifetime of not being able to say things or doing things that she wanted and just like surviving. And, you know, like even with my mom, I, I asked my mom, my mom dropped out of high school and like started working and helped pitching in with the family. And uh, she came here when she was really young and she like doesn't have an accent and, and it is very mu- I'm very much second generation on that side of the family because she went to high school here. But she wasn't afforded the same things. And and I think a lot of my understanding then came from that fact. Like, okay, like you got to stop attacking this woman with your anger. That's fundamentally her anger because otherwise we're not going to get anywhere, right? And then it also made me really come to terms with like what intergenerational trauma is, how that gets passed down through epigenetics, how it's like completely... Like, that's why sometimes we can't explain why we wake up with anxiety some days. Like, oh, what did I do to aggravate you? I've done nothing. I just woke up this morning. Um, And I think once I learned that, I really, and I still, I still struggle. Like, I still want to like attack people all the time with my (laughs) anger. Um, And it's like a constant like battle for me. But once I recognize that I am her and she is me. And essentially I'm living this life that she probably would have like loved to have lived. Right. And so I think that's what I learned. I learned it's like, okay, you are like, cause my kids won't be a product of sacrifice. There'll be a choice. And like, I, you know what I mean? And Whereas with like coming from immigrant parents, they just, yeah, my, like my mom just sat and she like, she still, she took on battles with my dad for me. And I just like swept them under the rug and was just like, whatever. But now I realized I was like, oh, you advocated for me. And I just like was kind of ungrateful because I didn't really know that that was happening. And the, really the thing that I really learned from, I like my backbone and like my charisma and all of like my personality comes from my mom like fundamentally. And I think once that clicked and I realized, oh, you're me, I'm you. This is why we butt heads about the same things. And it's because we're the same. Um, That was such a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting to to hear about intergenerational trauma because it's really coming out more and more. Um, Can you tell us more about, you know, perhaps for someone who's never heard of it or like doesn't really know what that is, um, what exactly that means and perhaps like how it's played out with, you know, other people that you've worked with? Yeah. So, um, so intergenerational trauma is kind of the trauma that we carry in our DNA that is passed down from our grandparents, our parents, and then to us. And it's always happened, but now there's just more conversation about it. So for example, like, um, say you have grandparents that went to war, but they never like dealt with that, that trauma gets passed down through their genetics to the embryo. And then in the child, like you could have the calmest pregnancy ever, but somewhere in that lineage, that trauma exists. Right. And until we, and, and really we are of a generation where we're like, everyone's like, oh, why is, why are millennials and Gen Z so sensitive? It's like, no, no, no. We're finally understanding that like things like are happening within us that are beyond our control that we haven't worked through because we're carrying it from 
from from our parents, from our grandparents, etc. And so um, it's it's literally is exactly how it sounds. Anything that your grandparents went through or your parents went through, you your body knows that they went through that, but your body doesn't know what to do with it, right? It's like whoa, why are we depressed? Why are we anxious? What's what? Why am I reacting? Like as I've had a traumatic experience when I maybe personally haven't, that doesn't matter if you're still carrying trauma. Like some people even say the act of being born is traumatic. Like you're all comfortable in this like womb and all of a sudden you got to like breathe now and like be a, <laughs> be a kid. Like obviously that's a little traumatizing, right? And so, yeah, I think fundamentally, um, that's kind of why this conversation is opening because maybe it's just too much now for us to be like, Oh, it's all fine. We're okay. Mm -hmm. I know it's like sort of like in your genes, but what's the best sort of remedy against that? Cause I know that I'm obviously carrying trauma from my life and then from whatever's happened with my mom. And I definitely don't want to pass it on to my kids. And so I feel like I kind of shelter them and I'm very try and be more relaxed and chill about things. But I guess on some levels, there's nothing really you can do. You can just sort of. You just have to have the conversation, but you just have to. And like you, I'll be more willing to have this conversation with my kids because I'm more open to the conversation, right? Like I can't really have that conversation with my mom, for example, because she hasn't opened her lid of trauma because she's like, I'm surviving. I'm fine. Like everything's good. So I have no business going to her and being like, Hey, like these are all the really things you dealt with in your past like do you want to talk about those things mm -hmm. you know so it's just I think it's really important to just meet meet your kids especially with where they're at and kind of we don't always have to talk to kids like they're kids you know sometimes you can just have a conversation with your child that's like hey how are like how are you feeling kids have good days and bad days as well and and I think like yeah, just kind of throw out the notion that like, they're gonna always be happy, lovely humans, because everyone has terrible days, including a child and, and just be willing to be open to have that conversation. Because as long as the conversation continues to be open, the more we kind of release a little bit of that trauma, right? Yeah. That's super interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah, the brain was, is like um, the most oh, fascinating go ahead, go ahead. thing. No, sorry. <laughs> no, I was saying I was just reading this book and they were talking about how your ancestry kind of impacts your mental health now. And I, you know, before I was like, how does that many like generations? What does that have to do for me, anyways? But I had a conversation with my mom and I just asked her, I'm like, what were some experiences with like your great grandparents and so forth, so forth, like that you know about? And so she was telling me about them and like, so for example, like, um, I can't remember if it's her grandparents or great grandparents, but they um, moved from India to Fiji, like forcefully and they were mm -hmm. left there. And the experiences that they had, like they were deprived, they were tortured, they were living in like these really unstable um, living conditions, there was like sexual abuse going on, just really, really, really crazy things going on. And then I just... I kind of like sat with it and then I was like, wow, like if now I can kind of see where things really played out along the way, trickling down to me. Like, for example, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like, I think what um, like my mom's generation and my grandparents' generation, like they're very fear, like they like they sexualize women and like they um, like it's always the responsibilities on the woman for like things like that. 
And I kind of was putting it together and I'm like, okay, I see how this got cultivated from there all the way down to here. And then it kind of gave me some better understanding on how not to attack them for it, but kind of like, what can we do better now? And I think that even helps with like my own mental health, because I think as women, those are things that really affect us and, you know, they do play a role. So yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of have those conversations and learn more. And instead of being like resentful, like using that as knowledge and like, what can we do better now? Yeah, it's so important not to attack. Like I spent a lot of my life attacking. Yeah, where I was like, and then now I'm like, whoa, like, this is not necessary. Uh, It's because it's not good for like anger is just like, that reaction and attacking is just like more painful on your soul than it is on like the person that you're aiming it at. But yeah, it's definitely a really interesting conversation, because it's like, huh, like, I'm just made up of all of these, like, traumatic little events. And now I have to like live and be a flourishing human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about the some kids who are dealing with that kind of stuff. And they've been sort of like ripped from their families, like maybe residential school situations, and then they don't even have someone to talk to to be like, what happened? What's your life? Like, where where am I getting this from? Um, And how heartbreaking that is that they can't get an answer to any of their questions in terms of their history. Yeah, it's like, It's definitely really interesting. And I would like, I think that we're getting better at providing access so that people can have those conversations. And I think that that COVID did do something in that regard. It's like, hey, we understand that everyone's mental health is now struggling. Here's all of these resources. So hopefully, I hope the system gets a little bit better to just like allow those people who feel like they don't have anyone to talk to, to have access to at least talk to someone. I'm curious as to why you got into counseling. I did not want to be a lawyer. And then... (laughs) Those are the only um, two options, counselor or lawyer. (laughs) Counseling was never an option, actually. I didn't figure it out until my late 20s, but I had always been one. And I... Yeah, so I, I'm a very like, with my friends and family, I'm a very empathetic, tell it like it is very like, kind of sometimes people don't ask me things unless they're ready to hear what like the ugly because I'm like, well, you're not doing your life correctly. Here you go. And so I was always doing it. Obviously, counseling is very different. um, But I was always the person people wanted to talk to and like, just unload on. But honestly, I ran in the 2015 federal election and I was always really concerned about Surrey and Newton and why the conversation we were having around like boys and guns and gangs. And I didn't understand why politicians and policy wasn't recognizing that this was like a family problem. It wasn't preventative in any way. It was like, how do we deal with guns and gang violence? And in my head, I was like, we got to talk to families. Like we have to recognize like, why, why are these boys going down this path and what's happening with families? And I was like, these people are obviously going through something. No one joins a gang and is like, I'm the No, something's happened. There's been a breakdown. And so I didn't like the conversations I was having. And I always thought I was going to be a politician. Right. And I had a degree in, in, in political science. And then I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense to me how we do this. So then I was like, okay, how do I strip this back to a grassroots level 
And how do I like get to a point where I can be helpful? And like, then the solution just, it literally just happened like an act of fate, like everything aligned and worked out. And I fell into this and it's been like an exhilarating, insane thing ever since. But that's how, that was really the like propel was that election where I was like, huh, these conversations are so bizarre because you're not really having the right conversation. Okay. I'm going to give you some snaps. That was a I love that. No, I think that's so true. We, I know, like, you know, we, all of us work in this field, like working with youth and stuff. It's always on the treatment end, but you saw the preventative side of it and you saw where a solution can be put that I think in the long term has way bigger gains than a lot of these initiatives might have. So I am fully for it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think they're getting better at it. Like this was in 2015. And I think since then, like they're 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 getting better at it. We're a part of a machine and machines work very slowly, right? And so I do have to give some credit to to the government now. Like they do, they're implementing these programs and they are getting better at it. But at that time, that's what kind of like made me have my light bulb moment where I was like, um, oh, okay, so I can't really be helpful in this realm. How can I be helpful? Yeah. And I think that's what we need in the mental health field is people who understand community. I don't think you can have one or the other. You need to have the community understanding to help people with their mental health. Absolutely. Cool. So we wanted to ask you a checking question that we like to ask our guests. And it is, what would you tell your 12-year-old self? I So this question is always really interesting to me because I personally wouldn't tell her anything because then I wouldn't be who I am right now. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So I don't want her to know anything. She was fine. Like, yeah. And if anything, I would just want to be like, you're fine. It's going to be fine. Like, just relax a little bit. <laughs> uh, I was an overachiever, like people pleasing. I'm going to be utterly perfect until I can't breathe kind of person. But I figured that out too in my own time. So yeah, without her, I I wouldn't be who I am. I love that answer. It's so like, you know, straightforward. You know, it, it sounds to me like, you know, no regrets, like everything's happened during your life for a reason and it's gotten to gotten you to the place where you are now and like Pam holy smokes you're a change maker I love it you know you see what the problem is you figure out like what the root issue is and and you're going after it you know you're trying to trying to help our community and bring us together so that's awesome. Thanks. And where can people find you if they want to know more about you and your services? Um, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Sangha Counseling Services. Um, I, also, the best way to get my phone numbers there, just either DM me, call me, or you can reach me through Clover Hills. It's really not that complicated. If you need to talk to someone, my number is on the page. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for coming and talking to us more about what you do and talking about relationships with our moms. Honestly, you know, I like that we have this conversation. When I was younger, I feel like it was hard to talk about these things. But I think as we get older and we're more open to talking about it, it's nice to know that everyone has like different experiences. And, you know, when you're younger, sometimes it's easier to see the grass is greener on the other side. But I mean, we all got a beautiful garden over here. (laughs) Nice grass is green where you water it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. And thanks to everyone for listening. Please check out our Instagram at Ignite Her Podcast. And why don't you tell us where you can find Big Sisters information? 
You can find Big Sisters at www.bigsisters.bc.ca. All right. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.